Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. This show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Good evening and welcome to episode 17 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on pretty much whatever the heck we want to talk about. I'm your host, Lou Schwalbach. Alongside me is Chad Knight. Hello. <laughs> Hello, sir. This week, we're going to continue on with the series talking about the Billboard number ones for the years. We're going to move up to 1950 this time and go over from you know the start of the decade to the very end to determine you know what we got for the number ones and see what we have to say about them. You know, just to remind people, we do use the Billboard Hot 100 rankings, so that is the list we use. So, I mean, there are other lists out there. I don't know if in 50 yet there was, but as you go along, there's other lists, and sometimes number ones are different. So if you're if your list doesn't match ours, you're using the wrong one. I'm, I'm okay with that. All right, so let's just kick into this. We're going to start with 1950. Um, if you listen to the 1940s uh, set, we're going to do it pretty much the same way. We'll go through the song. We'll talk about it a little bit. And I'm going to try to keep this format all the way through up to even the modern stuff. We're just going to do a little bit of information on each one. Keep mm-hmm. them kind of short um, to the point and give you just a taste of each of the years. Right. I mean, if you really want to get really in-depth through it, find out more about the artists or everything, Wikipedia and Google are your friends. We're just here to give you a little information, maybe a snippet of the song and what we think of the song. Yeah, exactly. All right. 1950, Goodnight Irene by Gordon Jenkins and the Weavers. Gordon. <laughs> Gordon just, he sounds like one of those guys, he's like English, you know, you're just like he's English. He you're works, just thinking of Ramsey. No, no, he, uh, Gordon works at a at a game store, you know, and he's he's really excited when a girl comes in, you know, and uh, I don't know why, but that's just what Gordon, like, you know, in my and, mind. And before, you mentioned in the last episode that you kind of like older names. I do. I like Gordon. And not just because of the people I know that are named Gordon, but just I kind of like the name. Okay. So. I would never name a boy Gordon? No, because I'm sorry, Gordy. I mean, the only cool Gordy I've ever heard of was Will Wheaton's character in Stand By Me. Okay, fair enough. But otherwise, most Gordies that I know are usually kind of chubby guys who live in the basement. No, let me finish. Who live in mom's basement until they're like 65 years old. Oh, <laughs> I live in my own basement, but I'm not my mother's. You don't live down here. I, it feels like it sometimes. Well, I can imagine. Anyway, so uh, Gordon Jenkins and the Weavers. So let's take a listen to this number one, Cry. The song was number one for 13 weeks. Well, the song was Goodnight Irene. The song was Goodnight Irene. And I, let me make sure I've got the right info here. Because um, I don't. Uh, Goodnight Irene. Yeah, it was 13 weeks. Okay, that part I had right. So... Um, I will probably edit this a little bit, or you're going to be listening to me talk about me wanting to edit this. Anyway, <clears throat> this number one, Good Night Irene, song was number one for 13 weeks. I should leave it so I sound like an idiot? Sure, why not? Because we're both going to have our points. (laughs) So So Gordon Hill Jenkins was an American arranger, composer, and pianist 
who was an influ influential figure in popular music in the 1940s and 50s. Renowned for his lush string arrangements, Jenkins worked with the Andrew Sisters, Johnny Cash, The Weavers, Frank Sinatra, Louis Armstrong, Judy Garland, Nick and Cole, Billie Holiday, Harry Nilsson, and Ella Fitzgerald, among others. Just to name a few. Jesus, that's quite a bit of a resume right there. And those are some big names. I mean, that's not just Joe Schmo off the street. Well, that is the, the it list of music in that time. The Weavers were an American folk music quartet based in the Greenwich Village area of New York City. They sang traditional folk songs from around the world, as well as blues, gospel music, children's songs, labor songs, and American ballads, and sold millions of records at the height of their popularity. Their style inspired the commercial folk boom that followed them in the 1950s and the 1960s, including such performers as the Kingston Trio, Peter, Paul, and Mary, the Rooftop Singers, and Bob Dylan. The Weavers, at least, had an influence on a lot of people. Gordon, Gordon Jenkins worked with a lot of people. The song kind of hurts my brain to listen to i wasn't a big fan it was for no other term to use kind of annoying yeah it was kind of it was it was i don't know it was just it kind of yeah it kind of hurt i mean i've heard the phrase before good night irene in fact usually it's oh a, yeah it's a dismissal like good night irene and just call like good night gracie you know the george burns thing yep but that being said I, I'm I'm done with it. I, I I finished it and I'm happy to be done with it. <laughs> All right, let's move on to 1951. How High the Moon by Les Paul and Mary Ford. So Les Paul and Mary Ford were a popular 1950s husband and wife group musical team in which Les Paul played the guitar and Mary Ford sang. In 1951 alone, they sold six million records. Let's listen to their first number one in this decade, How High the Moon. Now, this song was number one for nine weeks. Les Paul and Mary Ford are famous for creating a makeshift recording studio in their garage. In their garage studio, they used multi-track recording to record many of their hits, including Lover, Nola, Brazil, and Whispering, with only the two of them. YouTube has a large selection of clips from their syndicated TV show, Les Paul and Mary Ford at Home. And Les Paul and Mary Ford divorced acrimoniously in December 1964, which also ended the collaborations between the two. Imagine that. The duo do have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I kind of kept this one real short. And I've got different information on the other one that they have in this decade, so I didn't have so I didn't have two sets of stuff where I was reading the same thing. Oh yeah. I don't know. I kind of enjoyed this song. The guitar playing was good. Well, you had mentioned before they got the star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and I mean, aside from the fact that Les Paul is immortalized in you know most artists nowadays who play rock and roll because his name is slathered all over. Oh yeah. What they're playing. Oh yeah. I mean, you. I'm sure if you could think about it, you can probably name at least a handful, just without even thinking twice, of someone who plays a Les Paul. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not hard, especially when you get into the rock genre. Just throw a rock. You're going to hit a guitar player that plays a Les Paul. Oh, absolutely. Other than that, what did you think of the song? I thought it was a good song. It, um, it did showcase his talents, her talents as a singer as well. I wouldn't say it's the, my top list or my top favorite song of the ones that we've listened to thus far. I don't think it's going to hit any of the mix CDs I make. No, probably not. <laughs> but a snippet of it was good to see kind of where the where it all started. Right. You know, because obviously a man with that kind of talent had to start somewhere, and it's kind of neat to see where he began. 
Absolutely. Now, when we jump to 1952, um, and my little thing before, you know, I was probably listening to the song Cry at the time I was writing about Goodnight Irene. 1952, the number one song was Cry by Johnny Ray and the Four Lads. So John Elvin Ray uh, was an American singer, songwriter, and pianist, extremely popular for the most of the 1950s. Ray has been cited by critics as a major precursor of what would become rock and roll for his jazz and blues-influenced music and his animated stage personality. Tony Bennett credits Ray as being the true father of rock and roll. Let's listen to this 10-week number one. If your sweetheart sends a letter of goodbye It's no secret you feel better if you cry. The Four Lads, which is the group he worked with on this song, is a Canadian male singing quartet. In the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, the group earned many gold singles and albums. Its million-selling signature tunes include Moments to Remember, Standing on the Corner, No Not Much, Who Needs You, and Instanbul. The four lads made numerous television appearances, including the award-winning PBS special, Moments to Remember. The current incarnation of the group features the original members, Frank uh, Basuri on bass, plus Don Farrar on lead tenor, Aaron Bruce, second tenor, and Alan Sokoloff, baritone. The original quartet grew up together in Toronto, Ontario, and were members of St. Michael's Choir School, where they learned to sing. So you know that song, Istanbul, not Constantinople? Oh, the one that They Might Be Giants did? Yes. As I'm assuming as a cover then? Yeah, I would assume it would be a cover as well. This song... for You know how you said the other one hurt your head? You yeah. hurt your ears and hurt your head? This one made me want to cry. This one hurt my heart. I, I, it hurt all it, of me. As you like to say, it gave me the feels, but not the good feels. No, I felt blood pouring out of my ears. <laughs> it was not good. But... Obviously it was. I mean, it was number one for 10 weeks or whatever I said it was. That's a long time to have to listen to that song on regular rotation on the radio. How many stations did they have back then? Because I have a feeling that more popped up just to have something else to listen to. Well, it depends on where you were in the country. Somewhere like where we live, there was probably one. (laughs) Kind of like the TV stations. There's like 7, 9, 12, and you. Yeah. (laughs) And you're lucky if you got 12. Yeah, the weather had to be right, the the tinfoil had to be working just right. All those rabbit ears. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or the, sometimes you do the uh, the wire hanger. In fact, it got so bad at one point, my dad actually bought the big antenna and put it up on the roof. Oh, no kidding. Kind of thing, and you still couldn't get the UHF station. Really? Because we were right behind the mountain. Oh, okay, that would make sense. So, I mean, unless he was going to shoot it up there and put, you know, little red flashing lights on it, we weren't getting it. <laughs> so let's jump to 1953. Vaya con Dios, May God Be With You by Les Paul and Mary Ford. Let's listen to the second uh, winning number one of the decade for Les Paul and Mary Ford. Vaya con Dios, my darling. Vaya con Dios, my love. So now this one was number one for 11 weeks. The couple were introduced to each other by Gene Autry in 1946 and were married in 1949. They first appeared in the pop charts in 1950. Between the years of 1950 and 1954, 
Les Paul and Mary Ford had 16 top 10 hits. They had five top 10 hits within nine months. Tennessee Waltz, Mockingbird Hill, How High the Moon, uh, which was the number one in 1951, The World is Waiting for the Sunrise, and Whispering. From August 1952 to March 1953, they had five more top 10 hits. My Baby's Coming Home, Lady of Spain, Bye Bye Blues, I'm Sitting on Top of the World, and Vaya Con Dios. Their 1954 version of I'm a Fool to Care went to number six and was featured in a memorable Southern Comfort commercial in 2013 and got over one million views on YouTube. In 2009, they were inducted into the Hit Parade Hall of Fame. So again, I mean, it's it's kind of neat. I don't think we see this very often where a group will have a number one, a number one, number one in multiple years in a decade. Right, right. Now there are some solo artists that we'll run across even in the 50s here. Uh, we'll, we'll hit we'll hit Elvis in a couple of years. In the and, 60s, yeah. Yeah, and then in the 60s it was like that as well. So I don't know. This song, it's been remade so many times. I, if you haven't heard the song in one form or another. Mm-hmm. You don't listen to music. Yeah, I've heard of this one before, and it just it gives me the air of like a mariachi band. Mm-hmm. Like you could you'd be sitting at some um, like you'd be the the lone gringo sitting across the border having a couple tacos or something, and you'd have like this little three piece mariachi band singing that while you're having your dinner. I mean that's the envisioning that I have with this one. It's relaxing. I mean I, yeah. I don't know. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed it as being just kind of a chill song. I'm not going to make my greatest hits relaxation CD. It's my, not my pure mood CD per se. Right, right. But it's I definitely wouldn't turn it off. You know, it's one of those things. Mary Ford has a very nice voice. She does. I wouldn't say it's fantastic, but it's it's, it's appropriate. It's appropriate. It's above par. Yeah. It, it's not it's not fantastic, but it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination no and songs like that really play to her voice exactly so 1954 little things mean a lot by kitty kalen so kitty was born katie kalen she was an american popular singer whose career spanned from the 1930s to the 1960s to include the swing era of the big band years the post-world war ii pop scene and the early years of rock and roll Kalen performed with big popular band leaders in the 1940s, including Jimmy Dorsey and Harry James, before establishing a solo career. Let's listen to her nine-week number one. Blow me a kiss from across the room Say I look nice when I'm not Touch my hair as you pass my chair Little things mean a lot. She is widely known for her 1954 solo recording, Little Things Mean a Lot, a song that stayed at the U.S. number one spot for nine consecutive weeks, charted in the U.S. for almost seven months, hit number one on the U.K. singles chart, and sold more than two million copies. Voted most popular female singer in 1954 in both Billboard and Variety polls, Kaylin lost her voice at the London Palladium in 1955 at the top of her career and stopped singing before an audience for four years. After testing her voice under a pseudonym in a small town venues, she ultimately returned and went on to achieve 13 top 10 career hits. I'm kind of blown away by this one. Never heard that voice before I started doing this. No, not at all. And I mean, I'm going to give her mad props for it because, I mean, to have your, to have your voice be blown out. And just to come back from it, that's that's impressive because it's just not something that really heals, per right? Se, because right. you're always using it unless you like learn sign language to let it heal or whatever, you know. 
but it's it's impressive that she had that major down happen to you. I mean, that'd be like a piano player breaking all his fingers. Yeah. But coming back from that was impressive. So, I mean, big big props to you. No, absolutely. So then we jump to 1955. We've got Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom White by Perez Prado and his orchestra. Damasco Perez Prado was a Cuban band leader, singer, organist, pianist, and composer who also made brief appearances in films. He is often referred to as the King of the Mambo. He became known and professionally billed as Perez Prado, his paternal and maternal surnames respectively. His number one lasted for 10 weeks in 1955. Let's take a listen. So Perez Prado became a naturalized citizen of Mexico in 1980. His orchestra was the most popular in Mambo. His son Perez Prado Jr. continues to direct the Perez Prado Orchestra in Mexico City to this day. Huh. I would have never guessed. Now, you brought up something real interesting. I'm going to let you uh, put this out there but uh, about Perez Prado when before we started recording. Well, and you had mentioned that he is kind of known as the king of, uh, known as the king of mambo. And Perez Prado, Prado, however you want to put it, um, he's got a couple different. Either him or his son have a couple different mambos that pretty much anybody who has either followed music or watched movies knows. Um, if you recall, um, Mambo Number no. Five that uh, Lou Bega had. Yeah, Lou. Well, he redid it, but I think it was, it was but, a cover of. But the music of itself was Perez Prado. Okay. And then Office Space, how they had that music at the beginning as they're driving in the bumper to bumper traffic. That was uh, Mambo Number no. Eight, I believe, by Perez Prado. Okay. So uh, the Mambos that he he's done, um, this particular piece made me think of those, and I I enjoyed it. I really this is probably one of my favorite ones that I had for this decade. Yeah, I really enjoyed this piece of music as well. Like you said, there's not a lot to say about it. It was great music. It it was snappy. It was jumpy. It was kind of fun. Can't say it was my favorite one of these, but that's because I'm kind of a mark for Elvis. So, oh, <laughs> you were just waiting for what's upcoming. You, yeah, you kind of wanted to blow your your fanboy as it got more to what you're playing for. Right. Sure. There you go. So 1956, Hound Dog by Elvis Presley. Elvis Aaron Presley was an American singer and actor, regarded as one of the most significant cultural icons of the 20th century. He is often referred to as the king of rock and roll, or simply, the king. Let's listen to this 11-week number one. You ain't nothing but a hound dog, Now, Presley is one of the most celebrated and influential musicians of the 20th century. Commercially successful in many genres, including pop, blues, and gospel, he is one of the best-selling solo artists in the history of recorded music, with estimated record sales of around 600 million units worldwide. He won three Grammys, also receiving the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award at age 36, and he has been inducted into multiple music hall of fames. What do you say about Elvis? I'm going to put this out here. I've never been a huge fan of Elvis. I'm okay with the number ones, but as far as like the whole catalog, it's Elvis. He was great. He was the king of rock and roll. He's not my guy. And that's fair enough. I and I've learned over the years that I don't get mad. I don't I don't 
care if you like who I like or, you know, there was a time when I was like, I would try to tell people why they should like who I like. Uh, you st- everybody does that to a degree. Well, I guess. But at the same time, too, I mean, it's like, you know what? Hey. <laughs> but I mean, it was like a calling for me. Oh, yeah. I was going to tell you why you should be a fan of A and not B. And I've kind of gotten over that. I'm like, you know what? I like it. Don't care. But, you know, okay, I'm going to say this, though. With our podcast, I want you to turn that back on. (laughs) Because I sure as hell am going to. Fair enough. I mean. Um, I have to say this, getting back with Elvis. So I'm a little surprised he only won three Grammys. Only. Yeah. that, That shocks me because he put out a ton of music. And, I mean, and I was going to bring this up in a minute, but now's a good time. For 1956, he had number one songs for 25 out of 52 weeks. Yeah, that's half that's a year. That's almost half the friggin' year. And I did some math in the next one. It's the same for next year, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. So he basically ruled the airwaves for two years, or for 20, no, two years running. Right. Over 100 weeks, uh, no, of 50 weeks out of... 104 weeks. Yeah. Elvis Presley was the man. And you wonder why he's considered the king of rock and roll? Oh, I, have, I have no wonders why he's the king. You know, it's it's just the way it was. And it didn't stop, you know. Let's jump into 1957, All Shook Up by Elvis Presley. Did we listen to 56? Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, Don't mind me. If you'd pay attention while we record these things, you'd know these things. <laughs> well, you're just talking so much, I just never know when to... <laughs> 1957, All Shook Up by Elvis Presley. Uh, this is worth kicking off with a listen to this eight-week number one. Well, bless my soul, what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man on a fuzzy tree. My friends say I'm acting wild as a bug. I'm in love. I'm all shook up. In November 1956, Presley made his film debut in Love Me Tender. In 1958, he was drafted into military service. He resumed his recording career two years later, producing some of his most commercially successful work before devoting much of the 1960s to making Hollywood films and their accompanying soundtrack albums, most of which were critically derided, honestly. In 1968, following a seven-year break from live performances, he returned to the stage in the acclaimed television comeback special Elvis, which led to an extended Las Vegas concert residency and a string of highly profitable tours. In 1973, Presley featured in the first globally broadcast concert via satellite, Aloha from Hawaii. Several years of prescription drug abuse severely damaged his health, and he died in 1977 at the age of 42. Now, I knew he was young when he died. I didn't realize it was that young. I didn't know his actual age. I knew the year because they always made a big deal about that. Um, no, he was very young, but then again, if you look at his living and eating habits, God, I'm surprised yeah. he lived as long as he did. Elvis Presley. If I said, Lou, what's your favorite Elvis song? Probably Jailhouse Rock. Okay, that's a good one. Because it makes me think of Blues Brothers. Okay. Um, his original, no, I take that back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescind that. Jailhouse Rock is because of Blues Brothers. I'm going to say Viva Las Vegas. Okay. There's something about that, and the, the ZZ Top one is fun, too, with the snippets of the Elvis. I just have to say, I don't know, it's just a fun song. I mean, whereas it's not like a super heavy-duty rock song, or like you're, you're, like you're all shook up, like you're Hound Dog, like right. a Heartbreak Hotel, you know, etc. It's just one that's, um, it's got a really good swing to it, I guess. Yeah, it and does. that's the reason why I like Viva Las Vegas. I can't disagree with you there. However... My favorite Elvis song is not one that, again, if you were to buy the album, it wouldn't be the one that played on the radio. It's in the ghetto. 
Are you even familiar with that song? <laughs> I am, just because of South Park. Okay, I don't know why it was on South Park. Because Kenny lives in the ghetto. Okay. Remember, and Carmen was singing it to Kenny as they're walking across the tracks. Look it up on YouTube. It's actually really funny. Okay. It's like, in the ghetto. But, you know, that song, In the Ghetto, it was, it was one of those songs where he's talking about the trials and tribulations of people that are downridden. It's almost gospel-y, if I recall. It's very gospel-y, yeah. And that just has always been my favorite Elvis song. From the day I heard that song, it was just kind of something about it kind of grabbed hold of me. That and Suspicious Minds, that's another one. Oh, that, Suspicious Minds is a great one, too. It's, it's just another one, too, especially just, like, it's got such a, that's a feels song for me. Oh, yeah. And it's it was in, uh, it was also pretty good in uh, Lilo and Stitch, too. Yes. So, all right, next we jump from Elvis Presley <laughs> to Sheb Woolley. And you're probably saying who? Yeah, exactly. I said who, but the song is... And this actually shares the number one space with another song, but The Purple People Eater by Sheb Woolley. Now you're all going, oh, because everybody knows that song. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Shelby Frederick Sheb Woolley was a character actor and singer best known for his 1958 novelty song, The Purple People Eater. He played Ben Miller, brother of Frank Miller in the film High Noon, played Travis Cobb in The Outlaw Josie Wales, and also had a co-starring role as Scout Pete Nolan in the television series Rawhide. Let's listen to a snippet of Purple People Eater, which was tied for longest in 1958 at six weeks. Well, I saw the thing coming out of the sky. It had a one long horn and one big eye. I commenced to shaking in the city. It looks like a purple people eater to me. It was a one eyed, one horn flying purple people eater. One eyed, one horn flying purple people eater. One eyed, one horn flying purple people eater. Sure looks strange to me. So, Wooly is also credited as the voice actor who produced the Wilhelm scream sound effect. Really? That's what it says. I'm not familiar, or I might be familiar with that, but I'm not familiar with the name of it. Oh, you you know the Wilhelm scream. I, I Whenever I watch movies, I always watch for it. You'll, okay. You, we'll, we'll find it for you later, and you'll know exactly what okay. it is. Okay. But anyway, so Sheb Woolley, there's not a lot out there on him. He was a, he was a minor actor. Uh, he did this song. I mean, he did other music, too, but nothing ever really came of his music. So yeah, You said he was on Rawhide. Yeah, he I mean, says he Rawhide played... was a pretty damn big show. I mean, if Pete he, Nolan. I mean, I don't know if it was a recurring character, if it was like a one episode or not, but I mean, that's an IMDb thing. But Rawhide wasn't a small show. No, I mean, High a Noon, lot. High Noon was one of Gary Cooper's, like, The Outlaw, jo- Outlaw Josie Wales uh, with uh, Clint, Clint Eastwood. Eastwood. Right. So, I mean, if he had minor characters, I understand that. Maybe that's why. But, I mean, if it was a, a regular character on Rawhide, I mean, everybody watched Rawhide. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching Rawhide and reruns because my parents still watched it. Rawhide and Bonanza. Bonanza. <laughs> and The Rifleman. Uh, the Virginian. Oh, see, we didn't watch The Virginian. We watched The Rifleman. I'm not even sure if I... I don't know if I could pick The Virginian out of a lineup. Uh, the video, maybe, not the sound, not the theme song. Okay. So anyway, on to 1958, the other one of 1950, it's called All in the Game by Tommy Edwards. Thomas J. Tommy Edwards was a singer and songwriter. His biggest selling record was with the multi-million selling song, It's All in the Game. Let's listen to the six-week record tying number one in 1958. Many a tear has to fall, but it's all in the game. 
All in the wonderful game That we know as love Better known as a writer of songs for other artists, he still had a good career as a singer-songwriter. He died really young. Um, he had a aneurysm of the heart when I was reading my stuff, but there really wasn't a whole lot of information out there on there out there other than he wrote a lot of songs that other people made big. Okay, yeah, kind of like Otis Redding. Yeah, kinda. Where Otis Redding, like when we talked about covers and things, I mean, he was pretty much he had his name on everything. Yeah, the song itself, All in the Game, I thought it was it was decent. It was decent. It wasn't the game song I was hoping for, but you know, we can, no one can match that. <laughs> yeah, that's a little that's a little bit more on the line of Motorhead. You're talking. Yeah, can you imagine playing that acoustically though? No. I I, ch- I challenge uh, Lemmy's not around anymore. You know, rest in peace, man. But I would challenge the remaining people from Motorhead to redo that song acoustically. You know, even better than that, if you're out there and you play an, agu- an acoustic guitar and you listen to us, do a little demo of "It's All About the Game." by motorhead and send it to us and i guarantee i promise you i might get in trouble for it but we'll put you on one of the episodes oh I'm, i'd be 100 percent behind it so so talking about this game song however yes it was okay i mean we're getting to we're getting to the time in musical history that you can kind of see the corner turning yeah you're it's, starting to see more rock and roll starting to see more rock and i think the British Invasion was kind of on the planning stages right now, so we're still on the drafting table. Yep. And it's getting closer. We've got a little bit of big band stuff that's still kind of in the holster. And, but, it, and it does. It sticks around until well into the 60s, actually. Absolutely. And But we're still getting more of the, the this young whippersnapper rock and roll music, yep, yep. which is where my personal tastes are starting to lie. So I enjoyed this I with bated breath and looking forward to further songs as well. Yes. Well, let's round out this uh, this decade with 1959's Mac the Knife by Bobby Darin. Bobby Darin, who was born Walden Robert Casado. I oh, think wow. I'd, I'd go by Bobby Darin, too. You know what, though? I would go by Walden. I'd get my <laughs> ass kicked, but I'd go by Walden. <laughs> you got the big horn rim glasses to go with it with the tape in the center? I mean, the only reason the tape's in the center is because I got my ass kicked a few times. <laughs> So he was an American singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and actor of film and television. He performed in a range of musical genres, including jazz, pop, rock and roll, folk, swing, and country. Let's take a listen to this perennial classic. On the sidewalk, uh-huh, uh-huh, ooh, Sunday morning, uh-huh, lies a body just oozing life. Ain't got someone sneaking Round the corner Could that someone Be Mac the Knife It was number one for nine weeks. He started as a songwriter for Connie Francis and recorded his own first million seller, Splish Splash, in 1958. I'm okay. sure you're familiar with that oh, song. Oh, absolutely, yep. This was followed by Dream Lover, Mac the Knife, and Beyond the Sea, which brought him world fame. In 1962, he won a Golden Globe Award for his first film, Come September, starring with his first wife, Sandra Dee. I did not know that he was married to Sandra Dee. I didn't either. But then again, I really don't know a lot of history about Sandra Dee. I don't either, other than what they talk about in Greece. That was what my first thought was, too. Uh, what the hell is her name? Stalker Channing? Yeah, Stalker Channing. You know, that song, Mac the Knife, it's one of those perennial classics. We've all heard it. We've heard it by different artists. Um, I'm most familiar with the one by Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong, absolutely. 
I listened to this version of it, and it's like the sleepy version of Mac the Knife. It's before they realized what they could do with it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it was a great song. This guy, there's something about these guys from the 50s especially. This guy died young, like 37 or something, due to congenital heart failure kind of stuff. And it's just like, you know, do you want to be famous? Because you seem to die young if you're famous. Well, that, that has never changed. No, I suppose not. There's a couple ways you can let us know what you think of these this series of shows. We're two into an eight-part series. Our next uh, episode is going to be a Canadian artist. We're going to take a break. We'll probably do one or two of these at a time, and then we'll take a break. We'll do another episode of something else. Well, yeah, we don't want to we don't want to keep uh, force feeding you these number ones down the throat because I mean that's going to seem like school, and you're not doing this in, to be educated like smart. We educated. We're just doing this to be entertained. Yeah, exactly. That, with that in mind, you know, um, if you want to if you want to get in contact with us, let us know what you think of the show, what you think of this series. Uh, you know, anything like that, there's a couple ways to do that. One, you can find us, uh, you can send us an email with, at, uh, at musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com. There we go. Or you can go on Facebook. We have a Musically Challenged page that you can send messages there. You can like us. You can say, hey, you guys suck or whatever you want to do. And, you know, hey, if you send us something entertaining enough, we may even feature you. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.